during these two months, what we're actually going to be looking is at aspects of how the Holy Spirit works, but also how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. If you were able to hear Colin's sermon this morning at the 9-11, and it'll be up on the internet if you want to watch it later, one of the things that he was speaking about is the fact that you can't deal with the flesh part of your life by the flesh, by self-effort. That really the only way to move forward in the Christian life is by walking in the Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, and through principles of the Spirit. Do you know that there is a law of the Spirit? Do you know that? In Romans 8, the law of the Spirit has set us free from the principles of the flesh. Now, that word law means principles. So there are principles of the Holy Spirit that we can apply to our lives. And we're going to be looking at some of these uh, throughout Scripture. And it's very important because most Christians don't live according to the Spirit. Uh, they have moral Christian principles, and, uh, but they don't intentionally walk or keep in step with the Spirit, and they're not sure what the principles are. This is why this is an important series. Tonight at the 7 o'clock, we have um, reorientated uh, our 7 o'clock service for the future. So, as from this evening, it's no longer called the Holy Spirit Ministry Service, but it's called the Holy Spirit Fire Service. Now, we know that you don't just change a meeting by changing a title, but it's actually a whole orientation of focus, the Holy Spirit Fire Service, uh, that we are going to be uh, orientating and moving forward in the future, both from what happens from the platform and the music and the different teams as well. And uh, one of the main things that you, you will notice even from tonight is that Instead of uh, there being an emphasis on prophetic preaching or preaching with a prophetic edge, it will be rather prophetic with a slight preaching edge. And believe me, there'll be a big difference. And just to make sure in my mind, I know there's a difference, I'm not going to have a pulpit tonight. A bit nervous about that, can't hide. Anyway, it's perspex anyway. But what I mean is that I, instead of preaching, really, I'm going, we're going to be prophesying. Prophesying is not just giving a prophecy here and there. Um, we will be doing that as the Lord leads. But prophesying is a strong theme of Christian history. Even in the Puritan days, they would have times where they wouldn't just come and teach God's word, like we will be in a couple of moments' time, but they would, call, they would have times of prophesying. These times of prophesying grew very strong in, in the early Quakers as well. In fact, modern-day Quakers, although very few of them actually prophesy by the Spirit, some do, um, their, their whole meetings were that you would stand or be around in a circle, and then as the Spirit moved you, you would prophesy. Or if the Spirit gave you a word or a scripture, you would prophesy it. So it was a, uh, more of an, an immediate witness to what the Holy Spirit was doing than a prepared sermon. Now, I, I've, I've got my word in my mind prepared, but I don't intend to deliver that word. I'm going to use that as a prophetic standpoint so that I will be open for everything. And then out of that, we're hoping and believing God that things will be very different and there'll be an emphasis more on the moving of the Spirit than, uh, than such things. Anyway, uh, if you're interested, come along and have a look. Today, we are going to take things a little bit further from where we left them off last week. Last week, when I taught you, um, we were looking at the introductory principles of the work of the Holy Spirit. 
We spoke about the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or what we call spirit reception. And uh, we looked at Galatians chapter 3, where this young church of Galatians were already backsliding. And the reason that the Galatians were backsliding was because they had started in the spirit. Remember Paul says, first of all he says, we preached Christ crucified to you. And then he says, how come, he said, how come you who started in the spirit are trying to mature yourselves in the flesh? Didn't God give you the spirit and didn't you receive it? Not by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. And God provided you with the spirit and miracles. That's what he said. And so Paul was saying, what's happened to you? You started in the spirit, but now you've got religious. You need to go back to the entrance point of the Christian life, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, and begin to work out the principles of the Spirit. And of course, in chapter 5, chapter five, two chapters later, he would talk more about those principles of the Spirit, focusing on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then we looked a little bit at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we said that there are three major headings of the work of the Holy Spirit. The first one is his presence, the presence of the Spirit. The second one is the power of the Spirit. And the third one is the purity of the Spirit. Presence, power, and purity. Now, those are just general headings, but you'll find that nearly everything that the Holy Spirit does comes under one of those three headings. And so we gave a general introduction to what that means in Scripture. Well, today I want to look at the first of those headings in a little bit more detail, presence, power, purity, but I want to focus on the first P, presence. And as well as saying presence, I like the phrase assurance, the assurance of the Holy Spirit. It's just assurance doesn't start with a P, so I couldn't, it doesn't work, but assurance of the Spirit. And just like a baby that's crying in the cot or a small child that, that, that is, is worried and they want their mummy or daddy, the moment the mummy or daddy comes and their presence is there, it immediately assures that child. Now, there is a whole teaching in the New Testament, and this is what I'm introducing today, on the doctrine of assurance. In other words, how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're going to heaven? How do you know that God will never leave you or forsake you? How do you know that, that, that there might be something that you do that would so offend God that he would no longer save you, no longer want to be with you? How do you know? This is what we call the doctrine of assurance. And this doctrine of assurance, if it's got wrong, has plagued Christians for, for centuries, concerned. Christians have been, have been disabled from walking the Christian life because they have been so concerned about this doctrine of assurance. Am I saved today? I don't know. Were you saved yesterday? I think I was. Are you saved today? I don't know. Are you going to be saved tomorrow? I'm not sure. I don't know. Great men of God, great Puritan scholars, great, great intellects and theologians have, who have written books and books and books on their deathbeds didn't know, weren't sure. Would I get to heaven? Have I done enough? So this doctrine is very important. And the first thing I want to say about the doctrine of assurance is that this is a doctrine or teaching of the Holy Spirit. You say, I've never really heard about the doctrine of assurance. Is that important? Well, if you come with me to Galatians chapter um, 4, and 
I'm going to read from verse 4, Galatians 4, 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 to verse 7 is what we call the gospel in a nutshell. The whole gospel is found in these few verses. I could take, if we were doing some expository preaching, I could take each statement in this verse and do a whole series and unpackage the gospel, what the gospel is from start to finish. So um, I'm going to read that to you, but focus on the assurance aspect. Galatians 4.4 But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, I've said that this is what we call the gospel in a nutshell. But notice how much of that nutshell is given over to the doctrine of assurance, adoption, sonship, spirit. Right there. You see, I've found that in evangelical Bible-believing Christianity, that often when you ask someone to explain what the gospel is, they will often finish at forgiveness of sins. Ah, the gospel, the four steps of the gospel, or whatever manner they might do. And they talk about God sending his son and the, the, and, and the world being in sin and that Jesus on the cross died for our sins. And then it ends with, oh, and if you put your trust in Jesus and believe that he died on the cross and rose again, then you will have your sins forgiven. And they will say, tonight at this gospel service, the offer is sins forgiven through faith in his name. Full stop. But when we see the gospel presented here, it doesn't stop at forgiveness of sins. Do you know, forgiveness of sins is not the end, end result of the gospel. Forgiveness of sins is the means to an end, not an end in itself. You are not forgiven full stop. You are forgiven so that. Okay? You are forgiven, verse 5, so that you might receive adoption as sons. Now, when this speaks about sons, don't feel that you're being excluded, ladies. It's a technical term. What it means is those that are able to inherit. And so these sons were able to inherit. Now, in the Roman culture that Paul would have been very aware of, being a Roman citizen, uh, you didn't just adopt little children, but you could adopt fully grown men. In fact, what, what would happen is that powerful Romans or senators would often find a young man or a protege who, who, uh, who could be 10, 20, 30. In fact, it's even possible to adopt someone older than you. But what they were looking at was somebody who would carry on their work, who would inherit their position and their wealth, and so they would adopt these sons, not just little kids, but full-grown men. And they, Caesars would adopt sons fully grown men in order to say I've adopted this person, not no relation, but I'm adopting this person so that they will be Caesar after me. Now, in, in Roman law, when you adopted somebody, they became as much your son as your natural sons or daughters. As much, and they were able to inherit. And Paul speaks a lot about inheriting um, from God in the book of Galatians. 
They were able to inherit. They, they, were, they had become as much your child as any other. And so we find that the gospel actually does not end with forgiveness of sins. It's a comma. Forgiveness of sins, comma, so that you can receive adoption. I think this is a problem because many Christians have, have, have reveled in the fact that they're forgiven, but they don't realize, yes, you're forgiven because now you're adopted. And what is that adoption? That's when the Holy Spirit comes and really plays an important part. It says, you are sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your heart, and he's crying out one thing, Daddy. Daddy. And so when we speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, yes, there's a powerful witness element to it. We'll come to that. There's even a purity element to it. We'll come to that. But there is a, an assurance element. You see, you can't have the Spirit until you're a son, a son of God. Yeah? And so it says, because you're a son, now God can send his Spirit. I mean, those that received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost... They were already saved. But because they were saved, God sent the Spirit upon them in assurance or presence, purity and power. And so we see this, no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, an heir in God. So we notice the Spirit of his Son coming in and crying, Abba, Father, in our head. This is the opposite to being a slave. Notice that. So if in your Christian life you're constantly trying to make the grade with God, constantly worrying if you're accepted by God, constantly worrying if, if you'll be saved tomorrow, constantly worrying if you've offended God and, he's, he, and, and what you've done is just going to turn his back on you and he's going to judge you, that's slave mentality. Those that are filled with the Holy Spirit, they have a sonship mentality and they don't speak out words of fear or condemnation. They speak out Abba, Father. Now, that word Abba, Father, we, we see in other places. If we go to um, Romans chapter 5, for example. And um, <clears throat> verse 5, well, actually, the Abba's not here, but we'll come to it in a minute, but this is part of it. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So straight away, again, we see that one of the major roles and works of the Spirit when he comes in the first time when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, but then again and again and again as he... Uh, brings fresh waves of himself into our hearts and we're filled again. He is coming to bring us God's love. In other words, the Holy Spirit's work is to tell you and to witness to you and at times even to give you experiences of God's love. If you, if you, if you say to me today, do you know, I just know that God loves me. That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. If you say, I don't know if God, God loves me, then what you need to do is you just need to say, show me, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit and believe God's word and you will get that assurance. Don't let false doctrine keep you from the arms of your father because his arms are wide open. But if you see two fists in your mind, you're not going to walk into his open arms, are you? Because you think he's going to judge you. 
so you're not going to receive. So what you've got to do is understand that these fists are not there, that God loves you, and the Holy Spirit will help you and reveal this to you. Um, we're going to come back to that Abba Father, I think, a little bit later, but, but let me show you about this assurance of the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. Well, verse 21 context. 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed you. Now, that word anointing means empowered. It's a word of power. It's a word of the Holy Spirit. Remember, presence, power, purity. Has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee or a pledge. Just remember that. Let's go a little bit further into 2 Corinthians and hear, hear the same thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee, a pledge, you see, it's there. Let's now go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Lost Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So there, the gospel, you believed, and what happened? The Holy Spirit came and he sealed your salvation and he became your guarantee of an inheritance. Well, what are we talking about here? Well, let me explain it a little bit more. First of all, the Holy Spirit brings a seal. What's that? That's his assurance. Now, think about the way that we use the term seal uh, today. Um, you know, if you get, ever get one of those jars, those cooking jars, you know, chicken tonight or whatever, something like that, and they've got a top on, haven't they? But they're also sealed, aren't they, with a little bit of plastic around it. And uh, if it says, if the seal is broken, don't use it. Now, that little plastic strip that you just tear off, that doesn't keep the lid on, does it? It's a seal. I don't know if they still do it, but I remember they used to do it where um, they would have a lid on it, and if you opened it, something would pop up in the middle. Do you remember that? It'd pop up. I do actually cook as well as not using jars, just in case some of you are thinking that all I do is chicken tonight. And you t and pop up, and it says, if seal's broken, don't use. And so this seal is something that, that doesn't necessarily hold the thing together, but it's an added seal. You think about how an envelope, you take an envelope, you want to send it, you put your letter in, you don't just fold it in, do you? You lick it and you seal it. Or in the old days... The kings and important people would have a signet ring. I've got a, a signet ring on here, and it's, it's got an eagle inside it. And this is, 
it's just, uh, you know, it's just, just a nice ring, I think. But, but this is called a signet ring, and it's on this finger because of historically what would happen would be people with signet rings and official people, they would take a letter and they would close it, but then they would melt wax over the joining. And then on that wax, they would put their seal, the imprint of their signet ring, on that seal so that the person would know that that letter came from you personally. The king used to take his seal, and when there was a big law that was written out, they would put a whole lot of melted wax, and they would take the king's seal, and they would seal it. And that would be the king's seal on what was written. What was written was law, but it had a seal. We talk about signed, sealed, and delivered. You ever heard that phrase? It's signed, sealed, and delivered. Now, this is not dissimilar to what the Holy Spirit comes to do. You see, you are still saved before you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were already clean before uh, and saved before the day of Pentecost. And, and you can be a believer and not yet have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you are saved by faith and faith alone. And in one sense, if you can take this today, faith is its own assurance. In other words, just believing is its own. How do you know that you're saved, Bruce? Because I believe. I believe that God's word tells me that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead, I shall be saved. So I believe. I just trust God for my salvation. I put all my eggs in one basket, Christ crucified, and I trust that. If you were to ask me, uh, if, I was, if I was to die tonight and St. Peter was to say to me, why shall I let you into heaven? I would say, Jesus died for me. That's it. That's it. Don't need any more. However, you know, that's the jar firmly shut. Do you get me? That's the envelope closed. It's done deal. It's faith alone, justified, saved by faith alone plus nothing. Got that? But then... God, in a such a wonderful way, wants to send his Holy Spirit to seal this in our lives. How does he seal it? By pouring his love in our hearts, by witnessing in our hearts, saying, yes, you are saved, and saying, Abba, Father. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, show you some scriptures. So there's the sealing, taking what we've already got and making us feel more secure in it. It's sealed. Don't worry about it. We've sealed it. We've not just, it's not just a shut. We've sealed it. And the Holy Spirit wants to come and bring you assurance that you never doubt that God is your Father, that you have been adopted. The other word used here is not just seal, but guarantee. Guarantee. Now, this is important. You can think of times when... when you go into the shop and maybe you see something you like and there's only one left, but you don't have the money with you. And you say, can I put a deposit down? Can you put a deposit down? I remember my car that I got. I was believing God for a specific car for many years. Couldn't afford it. That Golf GTI, it was the model in it. But I was just believing God and I used to look and see. And they're always out of my price range. But I just kept believing God. And the devil said, if you didn't tithe, you could, get, you could, you could pay that off. And I said, you're a liar, devil. And, you know, and then eventually, the, the, the right one with the right mileage at the right price comes, and I'm getting overexcited. And so I'm down that place like a shot, 
because this is like, this is God. It shouldn't be this price with this low mileage, and it's perfect, the right color and everything. And I go in there, and, I, and I'm trying, you know, I'm trying not to get too excited. Got my wife with me to calm me down, and also she's a bit more of a businesswoman than me, and so she's going to ask the deals and get it done up properly and all this. And I'm really excited. And, and she's just saying, just hold back, just hold back, hold back, don't hold back. Because I'm like, I'll have it. I'll have it. So uh, there, there is a point to this, actually. It's not just me reliving getting a car. At the end of it, it was like, okay, well, um, if you put a deposit down of a certain amount, we can hold it for you. And I was like, right, you can have the deposit straight away. Why? Because I didn't want somebody else to have it. And I knew that if I put this deposit, there was nothing like the full thing, but it was a significant deposit down, then I knew that was my car, and then I could get myself sorted out with the financing and everything like that. I'd put the deposit down. Do you know what I'm saying? So I went away saying that I got the car now. I just have to sort things out, but I've got the car. And then a week or so, two weeks later, I eventually drove the thing out. Now, I put down a deposit, and that deposit, and they gave me a guarantee to that deposit, deposit, I went away and that piece of paper said that that was going to be my car. You hear what I'm saying? I had to wait for it, that was going to be my car. Well, the Holy Spirit comes as a deposit in our lives. He comes and he says, everything in the future that is the kingdom of God is going to be yours. Not just heaven, but God's blessing, eternity, it's all going to be yours. How do I know? Let me give you a deposit or a sample. You ever been in uh, a supermarket and uh, they're giving out samples? And you say, oh, I'd like a sample. And you sort of like walk past, but they don't see you. And you say, well, I'm not going to go and ask for a sample. I'm going to walk back again. Would you like a sample? What? Oh, yes, please. And you take a sample. And so you take a little sample of whatever that might be, a cake or some food, and it's a tiny little sample a little bit of juice, and you take that and you go, oh, that's nice, can I have another one? And they say, no, and anyway, to have another and another, you'd have to have about 16 samples just to get a portion, wouldn't you? The idea is you've had a sample, you know what it takes like, go and buy it, isn't it? Well, that's a little bit like the Holy Spirit. When he comes as a, a, a deposit, he comes and he gives us a sample of the kingdom of God. It is part of, it is the kingdom of God. Just like when you try that sample in Tesco's or wherever, mm, yeah, is that the cake? Yeah, that is the cake. It is literally what you're about to buy, but it's only a, a small portion of it. So the Holy Spirit wants to bring us samples, taste and see that God is God, good. And, and when I say sample, don't think, that I'm saying, oh, is the Holy Spirit just going to give me a drop? No, but even the greatest revival and move of God that could ever happen is just a tiny sample of what's going to come when Jesus returns, isn't it? So I'm not limiting our mindset. I'm saying the greatest manifestations that God has ever given to Christians on earth are but a sample. But God wants to give us samples. Tonight, I hope the Holy Spirit will give us lots of samples of his kingdom and his presence and his blessing. But they are samples. It's not the full thing. It's there for hope. In this world, not everything is as God intends it, correct? It's a fallen, broken world. And all of us have to taste of that brokenness in some form or another. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. But God comes and gives us blessings and touches and samples so that we know, and there's so much more that we can, we can have. But 
in the end we know that our hope will be fully fulfilled and the fullness of everything that promised will be experienced when Jesus returns, when death finally is put under uh, God's feet and Jesus returns in the fullness. But we don't have to wait. We don't have to say, oh, well, in the sweet by and by, when Jesus returns. No, the Holy Spirit has been sent now. He's the guarantee. He's the seal. He's the deposit. He is the sample. He is the foretaste. Praise God. And, and there's enough that he wants to give us an experience of to absolutely blow our minds in this fallen earth. Also, this word seal is uh, the Greek word, oh, sorry, this Greek word for guarantee, pledge, or deposit, the Greek word is arabon, arabon. And I'm going to quote from William Barclay from my book on No More Law, Study of Galatians, that deals with a lot of this. And he says that this word, pledge, deposit, guarantee, is also a sign of ownership. Guarantee, pledge. He says, In the ancient world of trade... A seal was commonly used much as a trademark is used today. It was the sign of ownership or the proof that the article was the product of a certain man or firm. So, for instance, jars of wine were sealed with the seal of the owner of the vineyard from which they came. This then means that the possession of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that a man or woman belongs to God. The possession of the Holy Spirit is God's trademark upon a person. And so in other words, God has written his signature on your life. His, his imprint, his seal, his trademark. It's not Levi Strauss or Gucci or Armani, but it is God. And this trademark is a seal that you are one of his children. Now, you say, do we need this? Well, Christ had it. In Luke chapter 3, I won't turn to it because of time, but in Luke chapter 3, we have Jesus' baptism. Now, Jesus knew who he was before his baptism with John. It wasn't a surprise. He knew who he was. He had read the scriptures. But it was only at the baptism that he experienced this wonderful experience of assurance from his father. And it's not by accident that the words of the Father's assurance came with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit, do you know that? As he came up from the waters, it says the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. As, that, as the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit brought the words of the Father into the earth and it said, you... Not, not this is my son. The actual words were, you are my son, my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. It was assurance. It was God's word saying, you're mine. Now, did Jesus need that in order to, to finish his ministry? No, he'd have walked by faith. He knew he was. He'd read the scriptures. He knew if he hadn't got that, it wouldn't have all been over. But what a wonderful seal. What a wonderful experience to hear the Father say, I love you. That's assurance. And so this is what happens also. Or this is what the Holy Spirit wants to bring into our life again and again and again. 
We looked at Galatians where it says he sent the Spirit into our hearts, crying out, um, Abba, Father. But if we go to Romans 8, we will also see that again. Romans 8. Notice it's also linked against the spirit of slavery. Romans 8, verse 15. So, all right, yeah, Romans 8, 15. Well, let's go from 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery. Let me explain. If you feel condemned, if you feel that God doesn't love you, that God is just judging you, if you feel unsaved, if you, that's not from God. It says you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs. So can you see the work of the Spirit? In Galatians, it's the Holy Spirit that cries deep inside us, Abba, Father. Here, we cry, Abba, Father. And um, we cry, Abba, and there's a witnessing going on. The Holy Spirit is trying to tell us, you're his child, you're his child. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're his child, he's adopted you. Don't fear, don't get into slavery, don't get into religion. You're loved, you're saved forever. You're adopted permanently. He's saying that. And what's meant to happen is our spirit is meant to respond to that so that we say, Abba, Father. And what's the first word of the Lord's Prayer? Abba, Father. Before you even get into dealing with forgive us our sins as we forgive others, it's Abba, Father, before you even get to deliver us from the time of trial, deliver us from evil, it's Abba, Father. Jesus used this word in the Garden of Gethsemane. In in his time of trial, he was appealing to the Father, and we use this same word too. You know, adoption is very important. We've seen this here again. It's it's, it's, it's the, the end of the initial salvation that we experience here. That's why you're saved. Your sins are forgiven so that you can be adopted into the family of God. And God, when he adopts you, he adopts you unconditionally and permanently. I was adopted at three months, years of age. I was, uh, um, I was, I was born to a 15-year-old girl and in Victoria Hospital, Gateshead, and three months later, I was adopted. And my, my father was a lecturer in Durham, and my, my mother was a teacher there. And they decided, they were looking for a girl, and the adoption agency, the Anglican Adoption Agency, said, well, there's a young boy. Uh, would, you, would you like you know, to have them? And my dad said, well, to be honest with you, we've got our hearts set on a daughter. And the lady just went outside the door, and then my mum looked at my dad, my dad looked at my mum and said, we've made a big mistake. And so they went out and they said, oh, we, we've made a big mistake, we, we want the boy. And so I was adopted. Now, when they adopted me, 
the, it, when they signed those adoption forms, I became as much as their child as my sister who would later be born. As much their child, legally as much. And when they signed the form, there was no caveats with it. It wasn't an unconditional uh, form. So it, 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 didn't just, it, it didn't just say like, I adopt this child. I don't know why I'm emotional. You don't have to forgive me. I don't know where that's coming from. Um, I, I adopt this child on condition that they um, uh, get good GCSEs. On condition, we ab- will adopt this child on condition that this child will not go to prison. On condition that they'll be kind to their parents. In other words, if, they br- if this boy breaks any of these conditions, then we will no longer be their parents. Did they do that? No. Why do we think God would do that? Why do, why do we think God, who loves us, why do we think God... We being evil, why do we think God would sign an adoption? For He says we're adopted. He sent his Holy Spirit. And you know, what sort of family would adopt a child and never, never touch the child? You know, never, never touch the child. No, no, you take the child. You hold the child. It's important that that child be nurtured and loved and held and assured. And as that child, as a child grows up, and not just a child, but even a teenager... The best thing you can give them as a parent, yes, love, but assurance. Assurance. That's what they want to know. Whatever happens, I got my parents or my mother or my father, whoever it might be. Assurance is the best way that you can give. Assurance to give them confidence. Assurance when they're not so sure. Assurance, assurance, assurance. As they're growing up, you hug them, you you kiss them, and they're never too old to be told they're loved. Do you know that? My, my boy's 17 years old. I tell him I love him on a regular basis. And uh, it's not weird. It's not strange. It's how he's been brought up. Some of us wish that we'd been told we'd been loved a bit more, haven't we? So, but we can put it right in the next, in the next, in the next generation. They're not just words. It, it, it's important. It's there. To be loved and to love is the greatest thing that there is in, in this world. And so how wonderful that God is not just legally, if I can put that, it that way, adopted us, but that he has also sent his Holy Spirit to bring us assurance. And sometimes this assurance, sometimes you just have to believe God. Sometimes there is no feeling. Sometimes you just got to say, well, I just know that the word tells me that I'm saved, and, I, and even if I don't feel saved, I know I am, okay? I understand that. And sometimes there's times where, where all the feelings aren't there, and sometimes the feelings aren't there because God wants you to grow and say, I trust you even without the feelings. You hear what I'm saying? It's not all about feelings. However, having said that, it is about the Holy Spirit. And if you are open to the Holy Spirit, you will hear him bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And you know, this isn't just about saying, oh, daddy in heaven loves me. No, this is important. This will change your life. Never forget when Heidi Baker was here a year or so ago. It all blends into one when you've been here so long. A year or two, I can't remember. And she begins to talk about, um, about how they adopt, um, they, they have an orphanage in Mozambique. And they have lots of houses and homes for terrible situations of orphans, taking them out of the street, out of war zones, never been loved, never been cared for, the orphan spirit. And they bring these orphans in. And I was so touched when I heard her explain the transition of an orphan into a child, a child of God, uh, an adoption. And so they bring them in and they adopt them. And she says that when they, when they come in, they come in with an orphan spirit, 
or a slave spirit. And so they are, they're frightened of everything. They're frightened about the dogs that are out there. They're insecure. They huddle in a corner. Um, they, they don't know what they're allowed to have. They're worried that at any moment they're going to be struck. Or if they're given food, someone's going to take it out of their hand um, because th- at any moment because they've never been loved. And she says, uh, 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 she says slowly, as they just love these children, slowly, when they hug them, instead of, what is going on here? Am I about to be abused? They realize that they're not. They're being loved. Words of love. Acts of love. They eventually believe that when they're told they can go into the fridge at any time to get themselves something to eat, it's true. Why? Because this is their home, their family. And so she describes this whole change in attitude until these, these young children that were coming in with a... Um, An orphan spirit are now open, bold, courageous, tell the dogs off, confident, happy, ready to develop. Now, if we don't open ourselves to God's love in our lives, God's assurance, we will, even though we're we're, even though we're we're adopted, we'll be acting. And and Paul says, look, not a slave spirit of slavery. He's saying, look, be careful, you're acting like orphans or slaves. But this is not, the Holy Spirit has poured out his love. There's got, there's got to be an openness and a seeking of God and an openness because God wants to develop you. And you will not be able to do what God has called you to do unless you have very high levels of assurance. Because when you have low levels of assurance of God's plan for your life and that God is with you and that even when you make mistakes, even if he's not approving of your mistakes, even if he disapproves of what you've done, you're still his son. You're still his daughter. And it's important because if you don't have high levels of assurance of God loving you, having a future for you, and therefore having high levels of assurance and an open relationship with the Holy Spirit, the more you get to know him, the more you'll get assurance, then what will happen is when, when, when times come, you'll run from God, not run to him. When, when difficulties come, you won't pray to God to solve it. You'll go to the human, fleshly means to solve it. You'll be fighting like a street urchin or orphan instead of someone who says, I need to take this to my father because my father is bigger than your father, devil, and my father's going to sort this out for me, and I'm not worried and I'm not concerned because I know my dad loves me, will look after me, will sort things out. I've got high levels of assurance, and therefore I can walk in integrity and love, and uh, I can turn the other cheek, and I can put all these other principles that we will be seeing in the next... I can put... Because you can't put any principle of the Spirit to work unless you have trust levels with God. The Sermon on the Mount. You can't, you can't love your enemies unless you have high levels of trust in God. You can't bless those who curse you. You can't be patient and faithful and gentle and kind. You can't be these things to this horrific fallen world you, which will give you back nothing and just take from you. You can't be like this. You can't be as innocent of a, as a dove in a world of wolves, unless you know that God is behind you for you, assurance, and that that what you do when you return evil with good, the world says you destroyed. God says, well done. This is not the end of it. You've got the deposit. This is a great key for us 
and worthy of meditation in the future. Well, next Sunday, um, we're going to move on uh, from presence to either power or purity. We're going to do, do them next. And then out of that, we'll begin to talk about actual principles of dealing with real-life situations that God wants us to do according to the Spirit and not the flesh. God bless you.